Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. Welcome everybody joining and listening to the Programmatic Digest podcast. I have a special guest today, Eric. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. I'm super excited about today's conversation because we are going to talk about this very sexy topic of cookie-less, cookie-less ID solutions. Okay, I'm very excited about that. Uh, but before we get into that conversation, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to us. And for those who don't know you yet, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Uh, wow, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm Eric Wheeler. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called 33 Across. Mm-hmm. We've actually been in business for 15 years. Uh, this is the longest job I've ever had. I'm very oh. happy about that. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and, uh, in, and we'll talk about more about what we do with 33 Across. It's all about helping publishers and advertisers really uh-huh. compete in a world where cookies are going away. We've built some pretty interesting and enabling technology that helps uh, the industry run uh, and 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 makes everything a lot more valuable and um, targetable by the industry. But my background before that, um, I worked in the agency side, so I, I've been about I've been on the sell side or the publisher side with Thirty Three Across for about fifteen years. And before that, uh, another uh, gosh, almost fifteen years on the on the on the buy side. So I was uh, most recently before that at Ogilvy Interactive. I ran Ogilvy's digital media and and uh, creative and technology businesses for Ogilvy Interactive and Neil for about four years. Was at Kara Interactive before that. Uh, they acquired an agency called Lot Twenty One that I um, co-founded in 1998. Wow, uh, with a few, <laughs> with a few other cool. wild people, yeah. <laughs> and then was in uh, San Francisco tech marketing for a while before that, and worked at early early on in the mid 90s at um, uh, at a, a little startup called CNET, which is now CBS Interactive. Oh, wow. That is really cool. Uh, thank you for telling us about your journey. I always like to hear how people got to where we are because it's not, programmatic is like, although it's a $100 billion industry, I kind of find it that you just can't talk about programmatic advertising at the groceries or, you know, just at the gym with anyone. Not cool. a lot of people understand. <laughs> They're like programming. No, no, programmatic. It's okay. It's advertising outside of Facebook, if I may add. Um, So yeah, thank you for telling us about who you are. Okay, so before we get into 33 Across, I'd love to hear your own definition of programmatic advertising. If you had to tell my eight-year-old niece or nine-year-old niece at this point, Linda, if Linda had to ask you, so what's programmatic advertising in your own term, what would you tell her? Again, she's nine. Super smart. (laughs) Super smart. Um... Does she have an a- Does she have an ATM card? She I don't know. She has a phone. She has a phone. She has all the. She has a tablet. She has. Um, she doesn't have an ATM card, but she does have a iTunes account via her mom. I would say. Okay, so I'm going to take the next 30 seconds to let you know about the Reach Frequency, which is a course you have asked me for, okay? And I've spent a lot of time crafting every single lesson just for you. 
why should you even consider? Ellen, I'm already pretty aware of what's going on for my advertising. I love your podcast content. This is why I'm here. Cool, great. But you may know somebody that really wants to learn about programmatic advertising and don't know where to start, right? Most likely you've received training via your current job or via a previous job, right? You work for an agency, you work for a partner or a vendor in the industry, and they provided uh, the, the training, right? Is that how you got here? Well, did you know that that's the, actually the only way to get training nowadays? Like if for any one of our friends in the digital marketing world, it's really hard for us to, for them to really learn anything if they don't know who, where, and, and, and really what to look for. So the Reach and Frequency course is geared for those people. It's going to take you from zero to 100, from fundamentals to how to run a successful programmatic media campaign, how to run a successful department if you wish to be a leader or lead a department in programmatic advertising. The Reach and Frequency course is for you. Okay, we talk about we talk about anything from fundamentals. We talk about anything from who are the key players in the industry. But the biggest thing is that I give you my recommendation, my feedback, my guides. I was a trader. I was a buyer for few for eight plus years, right? And I led teams. I led teams of buyers. So I'm really, really, really good when it comes to running a programmatic advertising strategy, implementing, executing, optimizing, and reporting on, and then selling some more. I'm really good at that. So yeah, you can probably get most of this training out there. Great. Don't only stop at with my course. Continue training because that's 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 what it's all about, right? But what you won't get anywhere else and you'll get with me is all of that experience I've been able to gather, you've been able to implement. Like this is an interactive course for you to learn anything you should know about programmatic advertising, whether you're already working in it or you're trying to work in the industry. So check out the Reach and Frequency course brought to you by me, your very own programmatic coach. I'm very grateful for this experience that I've gone through the last two years and I'm here to teach you everything that I know. Check out reachandfrequency.live, reachandfrequency.live, and now back to the episode. Well, you know, I, I think the, the easiest metaphor I use is, yeah. is um, is is that like an ATM? I mean, when when I was a uh, when I was growing up, um, you if you wanted to get money from your bank, you had to go to the bank, and then you had to wait in line and fill out a piece of paper and slide that to the teller, and the teller would give you your money. Yeah. And if the bank wasn't open, you didn't get your money. It was closed. You don't no cash for you. Nothing. Okay. And I I view programmatic is really this enabling infrastructure that enables. The advertising industry to function like ATMs do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's buying and trading and access that's happening uh, where advertisers and publishers can uh, can transact and and back and forth constantly be looking, evaluating, purchasing, buying, reconciling, advertising. Um, and so programmatic to me is really that infrastructure behind all of this that makes it work 24 hours a day, so you don't have to wait in line. Or like send an IO via an insertion order via a fax machine. You used to have to do that. There was this thing called fax machine that would use the telephone. I won't go into it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, that's I think the easiest thing is programmatic is is the is the really the digitization and automation of advertising. Um, and it works very much uh, similar the same type of way eBay works in that you will bid and buy on certain things and lots of other auction formats. 
We're doing that for the advertising industry. Yeah, the eBay uh, definition is, I think it's super relevant here. Um, yeah. And also like the fact that you you compare it to an ATM. And I've, I've never had to uh, also use an insertion paper to make but I, I find it very interesting so thank you for for sharing with us and on that note though you talked about publisher and advertiser transacting so let's talk about how we really transact between publishers and advertisers specifically specifically from uh, from that programmatic audience profile targeting, I'm going to say, okay, and I'm breaking it down for my listeners, because the conversation we're about to have is regarding cookie-less world, an ID solution that 33 across, um, was it announced a year ago or announced to be working for about a year now? And yep. um, yeah, okay, so so we'll hear that in a hot sec, but um, Anthony Vargas for Ad Exchanger wrote about one of the successes you ran with Daily Mail, Daily Post. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so let's talk about 33 across. So let's talk about one, let's define it and position it in the programmatic ecosystem. So in the Reach and Focusing course, which is a course we launched, right. we have a special module where we only talk about the programmatic ecosystem. So for those listening or watching on YouTube, what that means is that who is involved, like who are the big players involved in our ecosystem? Who makes this transaction happen, who is involved in this transaction, and who complements the transactions of programmatic advertising. And so 33 across, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but you would be considered a data provider. Well, we're actually a couple of things. So um How would you we, position? Yeah, let's talk about so, it. So we um so uh we are uh, a fully functional supply side platform or an exchange. So we operate okay. a scaled okay exchange um and oh, okay. we also have uh an identity capability called lexicon um and what uh and that is today we're operating on our own exchange but is now also rolling out um with other demand side platforms and other supply side platforms mm, okay so, so you're, you're yeah. the, so you would be considered so i i explain exchanges ssps as an, a bridge between the buy side and the sell side so you will be that bridge between yeah. Okay. For and in sure. Addition, now you're offering Lexicon, which is an enhancer of that data, which is an enhancer of that ecosystem. Yeah. So, so okay. So, talk to us about Lexicon. Um, let's let's talk about what it is right now and the biggest differentiator with the other ID solution out there. Sure. Um, because I'm not going to lie, I was super excited to talk to you because I'm hella confused. So let's yeah. let's confuse this. Well, uh, the industry hasn't made it easy, that's for sure. But it, <laughs> I don't know. I, what's super interesting, I mean, if you step back and look at already digital is continuing to grow. Why? Because digital channels continue to be used more and more by everyone in the industry, by everyone, by consumers, whether it's streaming, whether it's CTV, whether it's audio, whether it's uh, on your phone, more and more mobile, uh, your desktop, what have you, digital has taken over. So we know that. Um, and what's happening. Um, and what's happened with programmatic, while all of this enabling technology has grown over the past uh, year, uh, excuse me, the past 10 years, we've been doing really programmatic for, for a, the large part of that. It's really been focused only on, uh, on cookies. So when Safari and others uh, and other browsers, Firefox, stopped uh, enabling cookies, programmatic really didn't work for that. 
So the problem is today, although programmatic is growing incredibly fast, only about 50% of web inventory, of mobile web inventory is available to be bought on programmatic because the other half doesn't have cookies. So if you're a publisher like the Daily Mail, in their case, 65% of their supply, I think, 65% of their visitors are coming on uh, uh, from browsers that don't support cookies. That means almost 70, 65% of their inventory, they can't monetize very well on programmatic. So that means they're optimizing their entire revenue stream for programmatic on the 35% of inventory that has cookies and the 65% of inventory before 33 across came around, they weren't able to monetize very well. And that's that's part of the big challenge today is that programmatic, uh, you know, we can talk about cookies going away when Google deprecates the cookie in, in 2023, but today there's 50% on average of a publisher's inventory that is either not monetized or very uh, woefully under monetized in programmatic. And you think it's because, uh, is this, True for like larger publisher mainly or small to medium sized publisher. Like, where's the scale here? Yeah, it's the same. It, it doesn't matter. It's across the board. So, um, and and what you're seeing obviously with uh, you know, people using their mobile phones more, and there's there there's uh, more and more mobile traffic, and we're seeing more and more cookie-less traffic. And um, what that means is as the pro, you know, as the programmatic buyers are continuing to um, you know, grow and develop their buying strategies and move dollars there, they're only really able to optimize to browsers that support third-party cookies. And uh, the challenge for that from a publisher standpoint is that, you know, if you've done your job, if you're the Daily Mail and you've you've done an incredible job writing great content that gets people to, oh, I love the head, I read the headline, you click into it, I'm going to read the story. I definitely want to know what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter. I can't believe that. Oh my God, boom, head explodes. Uh, you want to read this. But if you're coming from one browser that doesn't support cookies, it's very hard to monetize that. And why should it be that a publisher uh, you know, can't monetize that browser just because the user came from one browser versus another? They've done their job. They've brought an audience to that to their website uh, to read that content. But because of the browser, uh, you can't. You can't monetize it the way you could if it was on a different browser. And I think the enabling, the the partners, the ecosystem, publishers, advertisers are kind of fed up in 2020 and 2021. They've realized that we need to build new infrastructure, new systems. So companies like us that are enabling a new way to a new way to deliver programmatic without cookies, yeah, um, are are really having a lot of success. Okay, and so talk of, talk to us about that solution that you're now offering for publishers, but that will also benefit the buyer. Because my expertise and my experience is on 100% on the agency side, similar to, uh, well, not similar to you, but <laughs> definitely yeah. on the side and um, on the buy side. So I've worked really closely. And right now I'm still working with agency partners that sure. need help with not only consulting, like just growing their programmatic department. So we go from bottom up, and then we in, like we install those tools and ID solution is something that always comes up like, oh, how, how are we doing the right things? And there's a lot of reliance on the DSP from a buy side. Um, yeah. But 
I am finding out, okay, this is not a general term or industry-wide term, but I am finding out within my consulting um, services that the DSP is also, can also be limited, okay, um, in terms of the transparency and how we're measuring those ID solutions against yep. third party. I literally am running, um, some of the strategists I work with are running a campaign and um, right now, because of the DSP has um, a button that we select that says, hey, when an ID solution is available, we'll go ahead and target them first versus a third party. But there's absolutely no way for me to identify how much of those impressions come from bidding on an ID, right? Or unified ID, excuse me, because that, that term is also thrown in, the, in, in there a lot versus a third party ID. But yet I'm able to report on the data providers and some of those pro data providers are doing both. So now we're like, okay, well, if Experian is offering ID solution, how can I only target on that instead of still targeting on both right now? Oh, there's a limitation in scale, which I'm sure you'll talk about in a hot second. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I know there's a limitation of scale, but I would rather start testing this limitation now so we right. can get ready for it. So, right. so talk to us about, and specifically about Lexicon, because I really want to yeah. know, like, what is the difference between Unified 2.0, or is it is it something you're integrated with with that? So, talk to us about it. Sure, sure. And I think that is the real challenge, right? Because you're talking about, um, even in your case, you're trying, you would like to get scale. You would like to, or you would like to, like, even if there's no scale, you'd like to test that. You'd like a clean test so you can actually see and measure that, right? That's what we all... On the buy side, that's what we're doing. We're constantly yeah. testing, learning, and evolving. We're adding value. We go back to that buyer or back to the agency or to that client and say, hey, so here's what we tested. This is what we're learning. We've learned that. Here's what this means. Here's where we think we want to go because our job isn't just to spend the money. Our job is to be informed and be in front of that as a as a as an agency representative, as a, as a marketing partner to that client. Okay. And so th the challenge has been that there are you know, there's two types of um, there's two types of ID solutions, right? So let's just split that out. There's right. one called um, deterministic or authenticated solutions. And authenticated solutions, the two biggest players are uh, UID 2.0 and LiveRamp. Yep. Both of these are so are identity solutions where a, they tie in basically to the email and they authenticate. So a person uh, like myself, will log in. I log in at the website, and they they rec they match my email address to that impression. So they're able to say, "Oh, that's Eric Wheeler. Let's send him stuff about cars. Let's send him stuff about fishing. Let's send him stuff about uh, you know whatever." But but that they're able to do that because they're matching that on a one to one basis, authenticating or a deterministic solution. Now that sounds. You've logged somewhere with your own information. That's right. So we've logged in usually permission. Right. And so what, what what what's happening is that the publishers are partnering with the uh, with the trade desk, or this is now the IAB, and or with LiveRamp. And the publisher, when that person logs in, is 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 sharing that that data so that you as the advertiser will be able to know that that's a logged in user. Now that sounds great. That sounds like Facebook level targeting and Google kind of targeting. This is great. I'll be able to get to exactly the audience I want. The problem is nobody logs in. In fact, only about 10% of supply right now 
of overall across the U.S., maybe 15 percent, depending on the uh, depending on the solution and publisher. But at any given time, let's just say 10 percent of supply is connect is is a logged in or authenticated user. So that means 90 percent of your supply. You can't use that kind of technology to target against. And those things work. They work. Um, they work outside. They'll, they'll enable you to target without. Uh, you know, without a third-party cookie and all that, that's great. But there isn't the reach and scale that you would need on a buy side to be run an efficient campaign because there's a very small amount of the audience. It's only 10% of the audience. So there is a, another type of solution which we fall into, which is called probabilistic or statistical. And uh, the probabilistic idea or statistical idea is kind of a model where we, we don't know anybody's email address, we don't have any personal information, but we're able to use uh, uh, and create a, st a statistical model where we're pretty sure, in our case, we're about 85% accurate to a cookie, that we think that this browser, when we see it again, that, oh, that's browser one, two, three, four. So we're basically coming up with a way to recognize a rough estimate of what we think that browser is when we see it again the next time. So it's similar to Google Flock, if you were following what Google is doing with Flock. And that's, so that's a great way that we can, and in our case, we make 80% or 90% of the supply uh, is now addressable. So it's a great partnership. So we can get very large, uh, very large scale, very large reach. Um, and we do it in a very interesting way that makes it very easy for the buy and sell side to just do and operate um, the way that they do today, which is, you know, most of most of programmatic. When you're trying to do deals, you have you, or when you're trying to do identity solutions like um, like um, UID or or LiveRamp, you have to do a deal. Mm -hmm. You have to make a deal, and you have to. I'm going to say I'm going to buy this ID. Then you have to buy. Then you have to tell the DSP I'm going to buy this these IDs, and then you have to go out and find those IDs. And every time you find the IDs, then you can buy that inventory. Um, what we're doing is enabling open transactions. So it just our technology resolves. So we we do all of that on our side that enables the buyer, um, the DSP and the SSP to transact the way they normally do. Welcome to the programmatic meetup. Yay! I'm so excited about this community that we're building. It's going to be a safe space for media buyers, ad ops, uh, programmatic ninjas, data analysts like you and I, you know, just to come up and talk about our day-to-day -day challenges in our direct roles, some of my some of our wins and some of our um, opportunities to grow, to educate ourselves. Some of the topic of discussion includes anything from optimization, best practice, QA, templating, workflow, um, ver operational workflow. I'll have guest appearance. I'm bringing my network to you. And the best part of it is that you'll have one-on-one -on -one questions with them. Oh, so excited about this, yo. I'm so hyped. Um, so what to expect in your membership, right? Um, you can expect one hour call every first and third Wednesday of the month. Access to all the recordings for the paid members within our community. Um, discounted one-on-one -on -one consulting with me and some of the guests that will be gracing us with their presence and their appearance. Customizable trainings, but most importantly, new best friends y'all i'm very excited about this opportunity this is a community for you and i this is a community for us to just join forces and really 
really share, really just being able to be together in a community. There's so much growth when you're in a community, when you're able to relate to people, where somebody understands where you're coming from, um, from, from different perspective, right? So, so join today. Programmatic Meetup uh, community is open to you. Bring your friends, tell your friends to bring his friends, to bring her friends and his friends to meet up with us. Um, we respect you, we love you, we appreciate you. We're ready to like uh, support you. So make sure you join the programmatic meetup. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very excited about this. So thank you so much and see you soon. And so, okay, so let's let's take a, um, a breather right here. Yeah. The listeners, <laughs> I like to blame them, but it's for me. All right, so refresh our memory of how uh, Flock was working, okay? Um, FLOC stands for Federated Learning of Cohorts, y'all, if you don't know. Um, and as also FLOC is not something Google is going to go after now. Now they've switched it to topics. But let's talk about how Google, why was, what I'm trying to understand is like refresh our memories about what FLOC was about. Why was it even a solution? And then how it compares to what you're offering. Or so what? It's the same way, whether it's whether it's topics or whether it's flock, you're you're basically putting people into uh, into certain categories uh, or you're 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 actually um, you're in the case of topics, you're actually you're you're basically coming up with an estimation that based on in the case of topics, this person's based on their behavior, what we've seen on the browser that we think that they're interested in these topics. Therefore, you can advertise on those terms. So the same type of the same type of topics math that goes into that we're using, but less less to to understand a specific topic of interest. We're actually using it to to determine uh, addressability overall. So we can so we can we're just making sure that that browser the next time uh, that browser comes in we can say oh yeah we've seen that browser before that's browser one two three four and what yeah. that does is it allows um, now the DSP to go oh okay that's great I'll buy that I, I'm interested in that because that's the Daily Mail that's a great readership that's an article on Elon Musk uh, I'm uh, you know we want to we, we uh, you know we want to reach that okay perfect and so. That's part of what we're enabling at the very base level is just addressability. Because today, most of programmatic, when you try to buy, uh, even if you tried to buy Safari, Firefox, cookie-less browsers, it doesn't work because all of programmatic is uses third-party cookies to do uh, frequency capping, measurement, all of that, all of uh, all of that infrastructure. And so what we've done is built technology that allows the DSP to keep operating the way they do, and they just match to our tech. So it's more. So are you? So are you? Um, so would we say that it's you're looking at contextually relevant content that they are consuming, and then grouping them in that it it's, because it's statistics, right? It is. It, it is. It's. It's. It, it is the same type of model, but it's being applied to just uh, just to the browser to determine if we um, if we can identify the browser itself. That this is it, that this. So today, um, 
what you're doing when you use third-party cookies is using that first to say, is there a third-party cookie on that browser? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. yeah, no, give it one. If, if there is one, what is it? Okay, can I use that browser? So if you're a DSP, have I seen this? Well, yes, I have. Okay, that so that third-party cookie ID matches to your DSP ID. Oh, that's DSP ID 1234. This is third-party ID. Okay, great. So I can now say, all right, I've seen that person before. I've already served them five ads. I don't want to serve them anymore. I'm good. No more. Oh, we'll pass on that. Uh, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to target that with that browser for whatever reason. But without the third-party cookie, you can't target it. So what we've built is technology that allows for that, that capability to be targeted, uh, make, to make that Im impression addressable and I, uh, that browser addressable and identifiable so that you can target it. So you can actually, um, you can buy it. But it's much less about that than it is about, you know, using contextual segments and looking at what everybody's reading and doing and anything like that. We're not, we're not doing that. We're, we're just enabling at a very base level um, an incredible scale of users to be able to be, um, you know, uh, uh, not, uh, the browsers to be able to be targeted and, and, and delivered advertising. And okay, so I'm going to quote uh, one of Anthony Bar in Anthony Vargas um, article, and I'm going to say it for the people uh, listening. It is a Daily Mail boost. It, sorry, let me scroll this. The Daily Mail boost its cookie-less ad business with a prob probabilistic ID solution. Of course, he was talking about lexicon. So we'll talk about that in a hot second because I really want to hear uh, your thoughts on it. But basically, you said in that article that less lexicon allows advertisers to target users without any PII, personal identifier, uh -huh. personal information, um, using the lexicon pub token to help make up the 90% of cookie less inventory addressable. And that lexicon pub token is what we're you're referring to in terms of the how you're making you you're making sure that that third party cookie um is being is it's almost replacing the third party cookie capabilities that we're losing to some That's extent. Right. So That's in my that. own mm -hmm. So in my own words, um, so 33 across um, worked with publishers and publishers are working with you in returns by allowing you to place the pub, the token, so that you can measure this type of audience, right? So what is the pub token? I, I don't know where mm -hmm. I'm like positioning pub token here. Like that so, token. So we've got, I mean, we because we're an SSP and we also have a very large amount of publishers we work with, we work with over 800,000 publishers globally. Mm -hmm. um, we already have an incredible distribution uh, on those publishers, and we've launched our own our, our unique our pub tokens, which allow us to build this. Um, they are the the probabilistic way that we're identifying, um, you know, a, a, a browser. Uh, that is what we're using, and so just by working with a publisher, just through a regular integration with them via pre bid, uh, server to server, or header bidding. Um, we're, we're able to, um, create, leverage the pub tokens we have, create new ones with that publisher, uh, and make their inventory immediately addressable by all of the DSPs that we work with. Okay. Gotcha. And gotcha. Okay. It's, it's really, uh, and, and you, you did a really great job of talking about, uh, it is really a cookie replacement. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what the industry needs. We need a way that allows for transparency and privacy. 
allows a user to understand exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, how's my data being used? Opt out of cookies or not cookies. Doesn't matter to us. We treat it the same. Yeah. And uh, so while giving as much transparency and control as possible to a user, we're also enabling that publisher to make you know, a fair dollar for all of their inventory, not mm -hmm. just the stuff that has third-party cookies. And I would say, I think it's a great way to, to close this conversation. Uh, I appreciate you for really giving us a little bit more details in terms of how we're defining it, because again, there's a lot of confusion out there. Um, and so to, to hone it back in, right, or to bring it back home, we, we are in the situation because we were heavily dependent on third-party cookies. Like we can exactly. all agree on that. And then when we were heavily dependent on third-party cookies, it was a hot mess because it was very fragmented. And for 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 those um, for the listeners, you know, I like definition. Fragmented means that it was not communicating with each other. So every right. single big partners, vendors, or SSPs had a way to profile the consumer. And as a buyer, that's we were dependent on that way, you know, to to bid on that inventory. So now with the ID solution, we're being creative, being a, uh, pulling away from a cookie, depending on that cookie. So help us really um, help us really understand how successful it was for the Daily Mail. Um, and again, for those that are interested, I'll make sure to uh, quote the article link into sure. our show notes. You can find it really easily on the Ad Exchange too. Is literally Daily Mail boost its cookie ad business. With probabilistic ID solution, <laughs> it's not easy, but it's written by Anthony Vargas. Um, so talk to us, like maybe recap, yeah. like the I mean, big success, like the wins. Like we really want to know about the wins. They tested it. They won. This is how it happened. And this is what they got. Yeah. So we're seeing, I mean, whether it's the Daily Mail and, yeah. uh, you know, hundreds of other publishers are seeing incredible increases in revenue month over month, mm -hmm. quarter over quarter using Lexicon. And what we're able to do is, you know, it's just a man. It's like shining a light into an area that was dark. Yeah. If it was dark, you know, it's, and, and now you're able to see, oh, wow, I can I can literally now deliver my advertising to a part of the ecosystem that really only the large first party companies could get to. So a Google, Facebook and those guys, they have logged in data so they could buy programmatically. They could buy that inventory. Uh, so it, like, it wasn't like those, those environments didn't have ads, but they only had the ads from a few of these large first-party companies. Now we're able to bring true competition to, uh, to that inventory, to bring um, you know, increased fill rates, increased CPMs, so dramatic increases in, uh, in revenue um, and fill. Um, ultimately, over the next couple uh, over the next couple of months uh, and into next year, we're, our job is to really start bringing that CPM for a, a cookie-less impression on par with a, uh, a cookie CPM, right? And so I think the most exciting part about what we're doing is that we're really thinking about it from an infrastructure standpoint and how we enable uh, the buy and sell side to be able to transact uh, like cookies, but in a way that that doesn't involve them anymore. And that's much more scalable, much more, um, you know, in, in the in the case of the Daily Mail, they're able to see exactly how much revenue is coming in cookie-less versus cookie every single day. They have, a, they have their own interface. They can see the exact reporting. So the stuff that you were talking about not being able to get from a 
uh, from the DSP side, it's built into our platform, right? So they can see it every single day, real time. They can run the reports. They can get all of it. And that's what's so powerful is that everybody's learning. And I'm not saying that we're the only solution. And there's going to be great solutions. Like there are great solutions like UID 2.0 and LiveRamp. And that's great for a certain amount of audience. And there are other solutions too. But what we've been able to do is really provide the things that matter, which is incredible scale, incredible ease of use, very easy to measure. uh, And we've taken out all the pain between the supply and demand side. So it's not just deals, we're enabling open to transact. And that's really where I think about 85% of programmatic spend is open buying. That's not deals. They're buying open. They're going out and saying, I want to buy on an open basis, not necessarily specific deals. And that's where the majority of uh, money is transacted. And that's where, you know, we also work with deals, but the big money is 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 an open. And um, yeah, I was going to say it's a great way to end this because I was going to say what Lexicon is offering is the ability to continue and remain on the open exchange. OK, that is yep. funding the Internet for my consumers out there. Just Amen. So you know. Um, but also, the, the I think I want to really highlight uh, something you said is that um, it's not the only solution you should be tested. It's one of them. It's one of the many solutions, you know. Uh, why? Because it is still, it still has a lot of measuring and um, education to, to, to happen. There's still a lot of measuring and education to happen in our industry. Yep. And so I encourage you, if you're listening to this and be like, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm not even going to work for this. Like, um, there's too much. Like, take it one step at a time. Identify the differences in the solutions. For instance, Lexicon offers probabilistic solution versus uh, Unify 2.0, which offers more on a deterministic solution. So you could be testing both and adding a very great contextual partner and making sure that you're actually measuring your first party data and making sure that when you're measuring the first party data, it is consented, first of all. And then also you can pull some models off of that and you can track it and measure it. And then you can pull data from it, to make decisions from all of it. So it's multiple solutions. So yes, it's a lot. We're not going to lie to y'all. It's a lot, but you, you got to take it one step at a time. You got to have the risk. You have to have the guts to, to take the risk to test new things. And you have to ask vendors and partners like Eric and his team Show me the show me the Carfax, right? Show me on pull up, open the hood. I want to see what's going on and explain to me how important this is, even though I don't need to know the engineering of it. It's important that we understand enough of it, at least, right? Um, so Eric, Eric, thank you for for really laying it out because I think again, there's a lot of there's a lot of solution out there. I mean, I'm gonna say a lot. It's not really a lot, honestly. Maybe it is. Um, but some of them are great and some of them just makes me raise an eyebrow. Yeah, there's about 30. There's about 30 right now in pre-bid. 30 part, okay. 30, uh, 30 different solutions, yeah. Okay, so solutions are different than partners that offer that solution. Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I wanted to clarify that for myself as well. Okay, cool. So let's go into, uh, oh, let me ask this last question, actually. Sure. How, how sustainable is Lexicon? I am now finding out that the programmatic industry uh, uh, holds uh, 2% of gas emitted because of the, the amount of 
and the amount of energy we use, right? Every time there, the code that is that the computing code that is used for programmatic advertising emits a lot of gas energy, and that's bad for the planet. So, can you talk to us maybe about if 3033 across is considering anything of that sort? How sustainable is that technology? Um, like, what can you tell me about about that? Well, I think what's really interesting, and, and it's funny, I was talking with um, uh, one of my old friends, Brian O'Kelly, and what he's doing in his business around sustainability mm-hmm. and his new his new company. I, I think it's important. It's definitely important, and I think that um, we need to make sure that you know, as an industry, we're doing things that are going to, and buyers are absolutely putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to sustainability, as well as diversity and many many other really important, um, really important causes because. They not only are representing their own their own employees as an agency uh, or a DSP, but it's their clients, right? And their clients are saying, "This is how if you are going to be my partner, this is where I want you to spend your money." Um, you know, from a sustainability standpoint, what's really interesting is part of what we're doing and the way we've architected it. It, it isn't actually run where our data is being uh, promulgated everywhere, all over the place. We keep it all here internally. We do that for privacy purposes, so we can be super. Uh, on top of making sure that we're respecting users' choice, that we're very we're very careful about who and what and how that data is being used, but it also keeps it from getting out everywhere, which is continuing that so so-called carbon footprint. Um, so that's one thing that we're doing. Um, the the second is we're we're literally, um, if you think about how programmatic works today, it's really two different worlds. There's this kind of high degree amount of competition going on. Uh, on cookie impressions where you're bidding and there's tons of back and forth and things happening milliseconds and 200 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds back and forth, two milliseconds, all this stuff firing back and forth. And then on cookie less, there's virtually no one bidding. When we started this, we saw 97% of bids going to the 50% of supply that was cookied and 3% of bids going to the 50% of supply that had no cookies. So by by actually enabling programmatic to transact on cookie list, we're actually making a much more efficient buy. You're winning at significantly higher win rates, 30, 40 percent win rates instead of three percent win rates. Every time you have a three percent win rate, that means you lost the bid. Ninety seven percent of the time you lost. How much carbon emissions coming from that instead of in our in our side where it's literally 40 percent of the time you win. So you're almost getting to a 50-50, like hitting every time you throw a dart, half the time you're going to hit a balloon. That's yeah. fantastic. This is a far more efficient place to buy. And from an, an emission standpoint, dramatically lower. <laughs> and it's also getting to, you know, it's getting to great quality users where really the, the only ones who have been able to get them before have been, you know, large first parties, the walled gardens and so forth. So we're now enabling brands um, their programmatic agencies to compete uh, alongside that, and and I think that's right. That's that's a fantastic way to put it. Uh, thank you for for sharing with us. And I think think we're gonna go ahead and close. I had so many more questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. <laughs> I was this was such a great uh, conversation, and I'm sure this is not the last time we'll have you on to continue the conversation uh, because it's happening. <laughs> it's a lot of buyers, advertisers, clients of mine are asking questions and I am doing a lot of research and I feel really great about some of the information you right. shared. And so, and the reason why I feel great- think, is, Can I ask you a question about, can I ask you a question about consumers? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been watching what's happening with CNN Plus, you know, going away, Netflix now doing an ad supported model. And it feels like post COVID, if we are not good in a post COVID kind of world, mm. is it are consumers now starting to kind of be a little fed up with subscription? Like, have they had enough? Because I don't think everybody can afford all these subscriptions. I feel like when you look at Netflix, what what they're saying is if they need to continue to grow, not everybody can afford Netflix. We need an ad supported model. And I feel like people want a free content. They want it. They're okay with ad supported models as long as they get the they don't have to pay for the content. And I feel like that exchange is starting to pick up more steam because there was a belief that just subscription models were going to be the future of it, of uh, you know, media. But I'm not sure that's the case anymore. I think it would be 50-50 when it comes to subscription modeling. Um, I also want to say it's very culturally relevant. So um, OTT and streaming is still in, in its infancy. I don't like this word, yeah. but it's still at a very early stage everywhere else in the world, right? In Europe, um, in, Islam, in Latin America, our neighbors down there. So yep. for instance, I had... I had quite a few, actually, even like Isabel Raferti from Canala Media came on and Manuela Cortez came on as well. And they both said that Latin American are um, are more likely to be okay not having to pay. So consuming with free, for free, as long as there's a limit amount of ads, like they're okay with that. And it seems uh. U.S. Hispanics as well. And so uh, it just goes back to understanding the audience, like you said, the consumer. It is changing. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. I hate it. I hate when somebody says that. Um, it's yeah. not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one-group-fits-all event. Like It's just like sometimes it's going to stick, sometimes it's not going to stick. You have to be flexible enough and creative enough and innovative enough to, to move on with the consumer. Um, but Netflix... Everybody saw that coming. Everybody saw that coming yeah. Um, yeah. in terms of adding ads. Um, I think it's, I think with this post-pandemic world, hopefully, um, I do think that the subscription model only has so long and that there's only going to be a handful of leaders and then everybody else is kind of going to be following, like CNN Plus gets gone. Um, I do predict that uh, some of those people are, are going to be Amazon Prime um netflix we're gonna throw hulu into this we're gonna throw Roku mm. into this i'm gonna throw disney plus into this and i'll also throw discovery plus i feel like these are gonna oh peacock peacock apparently is getting uh increasing increasing i have only two wow. three three of those subscription i am not investing anymore i don't watch enough tv i just don't <laughs> right. I know you can't see from uh, from the screen, but I'm a bookworm. I don't watch enough TV and I have a toddler. Ciao. She has watched three things every day, all day long. So, And that's between Disney Plus and Netflix at this point. So I'm not... And Prime, because she likes great. Jurassic Park. Like, she likes Jurassic Park with dinosaurs. So that's that's it. That's the only reason why I have those three uh, subscriptions. And my husband also don't don't watch a lot of that. But... um. Great. Yeah, I mean, there's another thing, too. Like, we're we're waiting now for HBO Max to catch up. I don't know. The, I feel like there's one of those premium uh, content like like Disney Plus almost that are still holding on to the advertising. I heard something. I was listening this weekend uh, to something. It was about the you know the demise of, of CNN Plus, but 
the, and I, I'll try to find the stat, but it was the average that was quoted was the average American pays $40 a month mm-hmm. for subscription media services. That's including kind of, you know, whatever, everything, Hulu, you know, Amazon, Netflix, but that's not a lot of room. I mean, you could what are you five dollars for this, that. I mean, you really you can you can use that up very fast. So right. it, it does seem like there there are going to be some pinnacle or um, you know tent pole things that people will will subscribe to. But then um, everybody uh, seems to be understanding that they need to have a kind of a multi level approach to subscription and and ad supported and many different options in between. Whether it's broadcast uh, or streaming. Or if it's even just you know regular web and, uh, and and mobile web content, same thing kind of applies. I think you're. I think we're going to see that happen more and more. Yeah, and also I think you 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 just dropped some gems. So I don't want people to just over overhear oversee what you just said. But um, it's going to be it's going to be based on that audiences. And I'm going to rephrase it into it's going to be very cultural culturally influenced, and it's also For going sure. to generational influence because most millionaires millennials are you know um it's just comparing to linear cable behavior almost like the people are more likely to be in a in a certain age uh, brackets to still have linear tv versus like a million or the next generation having that streaming content like that subscription or the device like a psp or or um like i said a hulu subscription and then adding everything onto one. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. We made those predictions. Six yep, months yep. from now, we'll see if I'll have to call you back and be like, you got to come back because some of those predictions are yeah. good. We got to I mean, come well, back and make more. <laughs> well, if you, if you ever want to know what the boomers are doing, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds excellent. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for dropping by. Um, here's, here's the closing uh, question. I like to ask every guest, if you had to tell yourself or give yourself an advice, your freshman self an advice, like, let's say you just started, what is something you wish you knew that you now know? I wish I, uh, I, you know, I, it's funny. I've been, uh, I I was really lucky that I was able to be in a situation where I was president of a company when I was 28 years old. And Nice. That put me on a trajectory that obviously, you know, changed kind of, of where um, how my whole life went after that. But, um, <laughs> I would, you know, I I wish I had er, even earlier re- not listened, um, not listened to other people's advice and just trusted my instincts on a bunch of things. Um, you know, your your heart knows in silence the secrets of your nights and dreams. And I think you, um, trusting yourself and learning to listen and kind of, and to challenge yourself and to believe in what you can do personally. That's, that, that's something that the, the, the more you listen to that, the better off you are because, um, there is no, everybody's always there with advice, but when it comes time to do the work and get the job done, it's often just you, Mm. your computer and your, and your lovely Zeus uh there to help you but that's it uh and so um i wish i i wish i had um listened more uh internally at a a younger age oh that's so powerful like trust your instinct um and i think that that's why i always say on the podcast and everywhere else uh that it's 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 so important your environment and so important it's like 
being in an environment that encourages you to be authentic and to listen to yourself and to be risky and to take that decisions without even having clarity or that vision like clearly ahead of you, but it feels deep and strong inside. I feel like it's so important. And sometimes you're right. Being in the wrong environment may just be, and sometimes the wrong environment is your mama. Like, like there are certain things I can talk to her. There's certain things I cannot talk to her about. <laughs> But she's a role model. And the reason why I'm doing this is for my daughter and my husband, of course, and Zeus. Um, but my goal is to retire her in the next year or so. So, but there's certain conversation I cannot yeah. have with the woman. But she inspires me. Isn't that crazy? It's like, oh, yeah. So like, I, I like to say my problems are all relative. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, you know, <laughs> just Leave it at that. But yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately that you you have to get used to this um, a, 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 a pleasant, warm sense of discomfort. Mm. And what I mean is you're constantly, you need to get, you need to make the uncomfortable comfortable. You need to get, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that is what pushes you. That is what challenges you. And I can't even, I never would have thought I would be where I am today or in many other situations I've been, it, but when you look back, oh, it makes sense. But looking forward, just constantly putting yourself in new situations, personally, professionally, all of that is how you grow. And mm. you don't know what you can't do uh, unless you're surrounding yourself with people that inspire you, people that push you, people that believe in you, people that give you that chance. And if you're not getting that today, wherever you are, get the hell out of there because oh, life is too short. Yeah. Way too short. That is, I don't know how else we could have ended this podcast. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your you time are. and your expertise. This was great and ex beyond what I was expected as always. Um, if anybody has questions about you, how to become that person or how just to start working with Lexicon, how can they reach you? So Dirty Dirty Cross uh, is, uh, you can go to our website, you can get us there. You can get me on Twitter. You can get me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, Eric Wheeler and all of those places. Uh, but that's how you can get us directly. And come to 33across.com. Give it a try. We're working with mo most of the major DSPs today are already integrated with us. So uh, you just got to say, I need I need some lexicon and then we'll take care of the rest. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I will be emailing you about that. But also um, all of Eric's information is going to be in the, in the description of this podcast and everywhere Absolutely. else on our social media that so you'll be able to. I'm sure you can't miss him anyway, um, but that's a, that's a little tip there. And um, yeah, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you.